Hello, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. And we hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. And if you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. I want to begin this morning's message by uh, declaring and saying to you, Happy New Year. Uh, Yes, you heard that correctly. Uh, The first Sunday of Advent marks the beginning of a new liturgical year. Uh, And and did you know that the way that we mark time, uh, and often we mark time through traditions, right? So the traditions that we participate in, the way that we mark time tells a story. So time tells a story. So as a nation, we have days and traditions and rhythms uh, that we participate in that help tell the story of our nation. Things like what we just celebrated, Thanksgiving Day, uh, July 4th, Veterans Day, and others. These days help tell the story of the forming of a nation. They help keep our memories fresh so that we can hold on to a national identity. And there's nothing wrong with this at all, right? And, and of course, we participate in many of those traditions and those rhythms, uh, and those are good things. But what we want to do as the people of God and as a church is recognize that we are kind of marking time or telling a different story as the people of God. Uh, And so we mark time in order to tell the story of Christ, which is what the liturgical calendar does. We begin by telling the story of Christ, not with the arrival of Christ, but with the promise that a new day is coming, with the promise of Messiah, right? So we begin with this exercise of hope, and of patience. Uh, And I think that's really significant in our lives, particularly in our lives as we live in kind of an instant culture that doesn't do very well with patience. Uh, And and so we just kind of lean into these seasons. We lean into these moments of of hope and of waiting and of forming patience uh, because we're telling the story of Christ in the way that we keep time. Um, And so it doesn't begin with triumph or arrival. It begins with waiting. And so that's exactly what Advent is all about. It's about waiting. It's about longing. And so during this season, we enter into solidarity with our ancient brothers and sisters who waited for the coming of the Messiah. But now that the Messiah has come in the person of Jesus, we await for the returning of Christ and the renewal of all things. Uh, So this is a great season to be honest about your longing, right? In your prayer times through Advent, it's a really great time to just be honest with God about that which you are longing for. Uh, And I'll bet uh, there's some things we're longing for in these days, right? And so what are we longing for? It's a great season to do that. It's also a great time to cry out to God and ask God to do what God has promised to do, right? It's a great time for crying out to God. Uh, It's a great time to develop patience. Patience, after all, is a Christian virtue. So uh, what we're going to be doing during the weeks of Advent is looking at the prophets as we kind of practice waiting. Uh, there's no better voice to listen to than the voice of the prophets. So let's begin in Jeremiah chapter 33, uh, beginning with verse 14. Just a couple verses today. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 33, beginning with verse 14. It'll be up on the screen so you can follow along there. But it says this, uh, the days are surely, surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice 
and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it shall be called, the Lord is our righteousness. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, when we think about the voice of the prophets, context is really important. Uh, when you think about this kind of prophetic word that's being spoken, this word from God, understanding kind of what's going on, placing the timeline of, of what's happening and to whom is this prophet speaking is really, really important. So let's, let's try to get some context. Let's try to place Jeremiah's prophetic ministry on a timeline, okay? And this is rough and dirty, uh, but let's place it on a timeline. Creation was a super crazy long time ago right? Thank you for the little chuckles. That was supposed to be a little bit funny, okay? So creation was a super crazy long time ago. And then you have the calling of Abraham, whose descendants will form the nation of Israel. That was a crazy long time ago, okay? Uh, and, and then at first, Israel is governed by judges, not kings, but there's a whole era in the history of Israel where they're governed by judges. That was a long time ago. After the age of judges, we enter into the age of kings. And this is where a lot of the most famous prophets begin to prophesy, is in like kind of during the reign of the kings of Israel. Now, the second king was King David, and he became the model for what a good and righteous king is to be. In fact, he became kind of the archetype of a good and righteous king. So anytime it was like a righteous king is going to come, it was always talked about in light of or in the context of King David, because he was the archetype of a good king. So the prophet Jeremiah then, so we have creation, the formation of Israel, the, the uh, age of the judges, then the age of the kings, and then you have King David, the second king. Jeremiah is 400 years after King David and 600 years before Christ. That's Jeremiah. 400 years after King David, 600 years before Christ. Since we're talking about the prophets, let me say a quick word about prophecy. The purpose of prophecy is not primarily to tell the future. The purpose of prophecy is to provide a timely word from God for the people of God. A timely word from God for the people of God. That's the prophetic word. In, in other words, that's why context is so important, is we need to know like what made this word timely for this group of people. Um, and so Jeremiah's timely word is in part found in Jeremiah 33, 14 through 16, where Jeremiah envisions a king who would rule with righteousness, who would rule with righteousness, and who would be called, in fact, the name would be called, the Lord is our righteousness. And he says very directly that this person would come from the line of David, right? Because if we're going to talk about a righteous king, we need to talk about that righteous king coming from the line of the archetype of righteous kings. And so from the line of David, one will come that is called the righteousness of God. Can we admit out loud for a little bit? Righteousness is a hard word. We like to use it a lot as Christians. We kind of throw it around a little bit, but we may not necessarily always mean, know what it means, or we might have assumptions about what it means, but maybe those assumptions aren't the same. Uh, and so righteousness is this difficult word. It's fraught with kind of layers of assumption and misunderstanding to the point where righteousness almost means nothing at all, 
uh, except maybe some sense of like personal morality, right? Uh, when we think of righteousness, I think we usually just think of, of personal morality. And it certainly is that, right? I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not saying that it's not that. I'm saying it's more than that, right? So it's a like layered word uh, that has lots of meaning. And so to help bring at least some clarity to the word, uh, righteousness at, at least means two things. Uh, in addition to this kind of sense of personal morality uh, in the scriptures. The first is, is that uh, righteousness is very, very closely related to the word justice. Uh, righteousness and justice are very, very close uh, in the scriptures and in the Greek. So you could think of it this way. If righteousness is kind of a personal morality or personal freedom from sin, then justice is is the making right of sinful systems. That's one way of thinking about it, right? So, so if righteousness is this, this personal uh, freedom from sin, justice is this making right of systemic wrongs. And so we need both, right? We need righteousness and we need justice. And they're very intimately connected. In fact, sometimes you can actually translate one as the other. Uh, let's try this on just for size uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be filled. Right? Uh, so very closely. So you can almost think of them interchangeably or at least think of them more holistically. Uh, righteousness is very closely related to justice in the scriptures. Uh, another way of thinking and understanding righteousness is, is this, and, and stick with me here. We're taking a little bit of a deep dive. But uh, another way of understanding righteousness is the covenant faithfulness of God. The covenant faithfulness of God. That is for God to be righteous means that God stands by God's promises. You with me? So righteousness is this sense of how God is faithful to the covenants that God makes. God is faithful to the covenants that God makes. And so the prophetic word then from Jeremiah is that a branch will come from the line of David, the archetype of righteous judges, and he is the covenant faithfulness of God. So this one who is to come is to show and to embody that God keeps God's promises. Amen. And this comes as a prophetic word, a timely word. And then also he says this coming king will be the evidence that God stays true to God's promises. And he will bring justice to the land. And all the people who were in waiting and in longing said, Amen. Let's get a little more context for the news of the, how this news of a righteous king uh, would be perceived and received. Uh, and how it was particularly hopeful in a time when they were 400 years after King David. And, and in those 400 years, Israel's experience with kings hadn't been that great to say the least. <laughs> Do you remember the story? Uh, Israel's kind of looking around at other Gentile nations who all have kings, and they begin to say, well, we want a king. We long for a king. And actually, the prophet Samuel says, but you already have a king who is Yahweh. 
And the people are like, yeah, but... <laughs> and they kind of are thinking, we want to be more like the nations around us. And so finally God relents and he gives them a king. And let's, let's review how these kind of 400 years have gone. The first king was Saul. He was a good king, but he wasn't a great king. And in fact, his heart was ruled by jealousy. To the point where at one point he became so jealous of his son who would take the throne after him that he actually tried to kill his own son. Okay, so Saul, the first king, his heart was ruled by jealousy. And having a king who becomes so jealous he wants to kill his first son is not a great start. Uh, then you have David. He's the second king. David is a good king, but let's understand that he's not a perfect king. Uh, right? He's, not a, he's a good king, but he's not a perfect king. And he's described in the scriptures as one who is after God's own heart, which is to say he was not swayed by idols. He made mistakes. He made big mistakes in his life, but ultimately his heart belonged to God. He longed to rule in God's stead or rule according to God's will. He was a man after God's own heart. And so he becomes the archetype of a righteous king for generations. And then after David, there's Solomon, who was very wise, except when he wasn't. <laughs> right? Uh, and then, actually, there's a split in the kingdom. So you have a unified is is Israeli king, kingdom, and then you have two kingdoms. Uh, you have Judah in the south. You have Israel in the north. In the south, you have Rehoboam. In the north, you have Jeroboam. And those two guys were disaster. Uh, those two guys are a disaster. And then, for hundreds of years after that, you have a whole string of bad kings, one after another. Some of you are wondering, is he going to go through the whole thing? And some of you are like, I'm so thankful he didn't, right? So you have just this whole string of bad kings. The kings of Israel were kind of taking their cues from the kings that they saw in the Gentile world. That is to say, they used their power and influence uh, to, for personal gain instead of justice. They stayed in power through violence or the threat of violence, killing anyone that would dare to jockey for their position. They worshiped idols. They led their people into disastrous wars. They failed to establish justice for the weak. And so the, the, the role of the king or the office of the king was to rule in God's stead or to rule according to God's will. And this line of kings for hundreds of years was failing miserably. In fact, what you learn from the Old Testament prophetic voices who were crying out for these kings to bring justice for the weak is what theologians have come to call the quartet of the vulnerable. The kings failed to bring justice to the quartet of the vulnerable being the widows, orphans, immigrants, and the poor. This is what is known in theology as the quartet of the vulnerable. And one of the main indictments against Old Testament kings from the prophets of God is that they fail to bring justice for this quartet. So for 400 years, Israel lived in a cycle of bad kings. Every now and then a good or a decent king would pop up and rule for a little while. But overwhelmingly, this whole venture into kingship other than God for the nation of Israel did not work out very well. And so Jeremiah's timely word is that in the days to come, there will come a king who will reverse the fortune of bad kings. 
who this king, instead of remaining in power through violence, this king will be humble and a prince of peace. This king will command authority through the wisdom of his teachings, and his miracles will bring justice to the vulnerable. Instead of being swayed by idols, this one will be faithful to God. Instead of leading Israel away from Yahweh, this one will lead them back to Yahweh. The coming king will establish justice in the land and will be the covenant faithfulness of God. That is to say, it will be the covenant faithfulness of God is one notch higher than embodying the covenant faithfulness of God, right? Like embodying the covenant faithfulness of God is pointing to reality beyond yourself. Being the righteousness of God is being the reality itself. Do you understand? Are you with me? So Jesus, the king who is to come, right, who did in fact come, and we, we know the answer because we're on this side of history, but that king is the covenant faithfulness of God, is righteous, and himself is the fact that God, is the evidence that God keeps God's promises. Okay, so I spoiled, right, I spoiled the ending here, <laughs> but universally... New Testament authors apply Jeremiah's vision of a righteous king to Jesus and the kingdom he came proclaiming. Take a look at Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. And you can, you can turn there or click there. It won't be on the screens. Um, but I want you to just listen to this. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a woman, sorry, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Now the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and he said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was perplexed by his words, and she pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He, he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God, listen to this, will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. And as, of his many kingdoms, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Since I am a virgin. Then the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be, called, will be born and will be called holy and will be called the Son of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Jesus is the king of which the prophets foretold. And he comes humbly from a teenage mother with an angelic announcement that his birth is good news to all people. The thing about this news that is to be good news for all people is that for one person in particular, this was problematic news. You see, after Israel's nation or history of kings is that when the king experiment didn't work out and they were brought into exile, they lived hundreds of years without any king at all until King Herod. And so Herod is the first king over Israel in hundreds of years, right? 
you might say he, he's kind of proud of that fact. Uh, and yet, uh, here is the announcement that a new king, a true king, the long-awaited righteous king is coming and in fact has been born to Herod. This is not good news. This is quite threatening news. And so this news of a coming king was problematic because the throne of Israel was occupied by King Herod. And Herod was just like all the other kings, where when he had his power threatened or brought into question, the only thing, the only option available to him, according to his worldview and how kings were to operate, was to just kill the threat, eliminate the threat. And so what does Herod do? He, he brings, he says, all the baby boys born in Bethlehem need to have their lives ended. This is what kings did when their power was under threat. Can you imagine? Put yourself in the, in the actual context of this history. All the baby boys in a city of a certain age or younger sent by the king's minions to die. This forces Mary and Joseph to become refugees seeking safety in a country that was not their own. But the angelic prophecy is that the kingdom of Jesus will never end, that it's coming with the birth of this king, and that once established, this kingdom will have no end. And so what over and over again in the New Testament, the kingship of Christ is connected to the kingship of David, that Jesus is the new model of a righteous king, that Jesus represents and is the covenant faithfulness of God, and that the kingdom of Christ will be an everlasting kingdom, that it will last forever and ever. And what later the apostles come to understand that the kingdom of Christ is actually a universal kingdom and open to anyone who will call on the name of Jesus by faith. And here's what I want to say to us this morning. This same invitation of recognizing the kingship of Christ and the universal nature of God's kingdom is open to all of us today. That any that would call on the name of Jesus by faith shall enter into the kingdom of Christ, and be made into a new creation. Um, are you tired and so fatigued of the right-left divide? Are you tired and so fatigued of the same old systems built on manipulation, arrogance, and fear? The invitation is to come to the everlasting kingdom of Christ, where perfect love casts out fear, where we inv are invited to a new allegiance. Part of the real difficulty of our particular time of where we're at is the temptation is for people in movements to sort of adopt Jesus as a mascot to their own set of ideals. Uh, and so you have kind of folks who, who just like have a whole set of ideals and then they try to adopt Jesus as a mascot to that. And, and actually Jesus, whenever, this was, whenever Jesus was tempted to do this in any, of, in any of his own day and time, he regularly refused the temptation. And instead was proclaiming a totally unique kingdom a totally different kind of kingdom, and, and proclaiming that he's a different kind of king. 
And so the invitation for us is to, by faith, enter into this universal kingdom and then have all of our allegiances aligned toward Christ and Christ alone and become part of a kingdom that has no, imagine this, become part of a kingdom that has no national boundaries to protect and a kingdom that is secured by the authority of the universal Christ and therefore is not threatened. Amen. Now, is what I'm saying very, very hard? You bet. Given the cultural moment that we are in, this is very hard and requires the Holy Spirit to come inside of us, live in us, lead us, guide us, and offer us wisdom continually. And, 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 there, and, and to think about issues and all of that kind of stuff and, and recognize that when we think about this issue, we may be put into that camp. And when we think about this issue, we may be put into that camp, this other camp and all of that kind of stuff. And, and what we live in an age where people want to learn one thing about you and then label you, right? And just put you in a place. And I think the unique thing of Christians today is to, is to sort of try to rise above the fray and say, my allegiance belongs to a king and a kingdom that is totally unique and totally distinct from this kind of two-party system that we find ourselves in, right? The kingdom of Christ is so other, so utterly unique, that I would say that some fail to perceive it at all. You can talk about being a Christian, you can be a Christian, uh, you can... Uh, you can kind of soak your language a lot with, with kingdom, but at the end of the day, some fail to perceive the kingdom of God at all. This is why Jesus to Nicodemus says, you must be born again. There's something kind of brand new that needs to take place. And so I suppose my prayer for all of us is, Holy Spirit, would you show us the kingdom of Christ? May we have eyes to see. May we have ears to hear. What the scriptures tell us is that this utterly unique king and this utterly unique kingdom never comes until the very end with loud kind of trumpeteering fanfare. What we find is that the kingdom of God is kind of like a woman placing yeast in bread. Or it's like someone sweeping a house and finding a coin. Or it's like a farmer planting a seed. Uh, which is to say, the kingdom of Christ is never in your face, but it's always there. Wherever you go, you can find evidence of the kingdom of God. And one of the defining characteristics of this king, according to the prophet Jeremiah, and one of the defining characteristics of the kingdom, according to the New Testament, as they kind of, New Testament writers and early apostles, as they kind of worked all this through and began to recognize that this righteous king from the branch of David that the prophets were speaking about, they have universally applied to Jesus. One of the defining characteristics of this king and this kingdom 
is justice. That it will make right for those who have suffered wrong. We've talked about before and even recently that our understanding of justice is mostly about punishment for criminals or equal punishment for the crime. But God's justice is about restoration. And let me say here that in our broken world, we need and we are thankful for officers who serve to protect, judges who do their best to carry out consequences for wrongdoers. These are good and necessary things in the world in which we live. And so we're thankful for those. At the same time, though, we as Christians kind of hold true to the reality that, that God's idea of justice is restoration. It is about restoring refugees to a home. It's about restoring those who suffer to well-being. It's about restoring the poor to prosperity. It's about restoring the sick to health. The kingdom of God is about restoring the fractured to wholeness. The kingdom of God is about restoring the sinner to forgiveness. <laughs> right? And so when we think about just the justice of God rolling down like a river, this is good news for everyone that will choose to align themselves to the, justice, the restorative justice of God. But if we refuse the love of God and we refuse this kind of movement of justice that God is doing in the world, then it will probably cross, like, cross us and, and feel like fiery. <laughs> Are you with me? Right? And so the idea is we just want to enter into the movement, the river of God's love and justice in the world. Amen. And so for us, I think it boils down to we have the opportunity to come to Jesus by faith, enter into this universal kingdom, align our lives and priorities according to the kingdom of Christ, and have our hearts changed so that we might be called righteous. That is to say that we might begin to live lives that are in accordance with the will of God, and that means some sense of morality, right? That means that we ought to be good and moral people but also the invitation and perhaps our collective invitation, the role of the body of Christ in the world is to anticipate the kingdom of God by living according to the reign of Christ right now. To begin to look at our world and say, what, would it, what does it look like if the kingdom of God were to fully come to bear on this place or this situation and this thing and then begin to work toward that in our lives together? Because we don't know how long. I, I imagine the people listening to the prophet Jeremiah, 400 years after King David, but yet still 600 years before Christ. They received a timely word of hope. And I imagine them saying, ooh, how longer? How much longer? Until this righteous king comes, right? Like a child in the back of the car on a road trip. How much longer? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And I imagine that if someone had said, like a parent had gone, it's 600 more years. <laughs> they probably would have been pretty discouraged. <laughs> right? And yet, they, like us, have no idea how much longer. But what they need in the moment where they're at is a word of hope. So you say to the kids in the back, 
We're getting closer every time, every minute. Right? <laughs> We're on the way. We're going to get there eventually. I think that's maybe the prophetic word for us. We don't know how much longer. What if we are still the early church? We don't know how much longer. But the prophetic word is, a day is coming. When the one who is the, from the branch of David, the righteous king, who has come and established his kingdom, will return and make all things new. Amen. And so we live faithfully and with hope in these moments. Well, let me say a word of prayer and lead us to the Lord's table today. Gracious God, we give you praise for your word. Um, this prophetic word from the prophet Jeremiah who speaks to us still today. Because we don't know how much longer. And there are plenty of things for which we are in longing and we wait for things to be made right. In particular, our lives have gotten way more complicated and complex and nuanced over the last couple years in particular, a few years even more than that, of, of just like living in the midst of, of a really tenuous time in, our, in the political life of our country, uh, recognizing issues, being tempted to ignore issues that have come to the surface. Issues like racism that if we're honest, are far easier not to deal with, but we need to. We need to, to reckon with those things and wrestle with them faithfully. So there's lots of things. And now, and then you throw in the middle of that a pandemic and, and, you, and you just, we're tired and we have a lot of things to work through. And so God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would so infill us that you would lead us, guide us, give us wisdom for every moment of what it looks like to hold our allegiance to Christ, to be the people of God, to be a faithful witness, to align our lives with the kingdom of Christ and no other. For Jesus the Christ refuses to be a mascot and instead invites our allegiance to an utterly unique king, an utterly unique king. So God help us to live according to these ways and especially as we enter into the season of Advent where it's marked by longing and waiting and patience and how much longer will this division last? Will we be in the midst of this pandemic? How much longer? How much longer? And we don't know. But we want to live faithfully in the midst of it. So God be with us. God, strengthen us. God, help us. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.